Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Here we go. For real now. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we have joined us from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Ashley Elan. Island. I just, we literally just talked for 10 minutes and I got it wrong. How, this, I should, I'm, I'm not going to, we're going to keep going because it's, it's got to get better from here. Like, I yeah, it will. Can you start, can you just carry the podcast? Cause I feel like I'm not going to add much to the conversation based on that intro. Um, we, let's keep going. We got this. Let's We've, keep going. We got we, it. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> how's Michigan today? <laughs> well, I, Michigan, <laughs> Michigan. Michigan is being her uh, moody self. I mean, mm-hmm. she started off pretty cloudy, and then now we are seeing some sunshine. So I'm looking forward to getting outside and getting some vitamin D. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. great. I, this is the worst. I'm so terrible. I'm off my game today. But you're carrying this. You're going. You're a real trooper. I've like this is. You know what? You, you wrote a book about kindness, and you are displaying it right now. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> glad you think so. Yeah, you're doing you great. Know, I keep telling everyone, Luke, we're in the middle of a pandemic, like, period. Like, yeah. so it doesn't matter how you show up. I mean, you just got to show up. This. Yeah, just show up. The fact that you woke up today and are doing anything right now is a big deal. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, I, thank you. That makes me feel better. Um, Good. I, I feel, you know, I had some church stuff that I thought was going to go one way, went in the opposite direction. I'm going to have to come up with some sermon stuff that I wasn't thinking I was going to have to do, but like, I'm still here. I've got, I've got a shirt, I've got shorts on, you know, so like we're, we're doing this and yeah. I feel like you're kind of like, um, you're like big sister Ashley just saying, we got this and thank you for that. We got it. We got actually, it. Let's do it. We're doing it together. Yeah. I think I'm actually older than you, but we'll go with big sister there. <laughs> we're in the same. Yeah. Ballpark. <laughs> Ballpark. Yeah. Uh, good news. Ballpark. My listeners are going to be so happy to hear this. Uh, Texas, you've got Texas ties. I do. Born and raised in Houston. I was okay. So you had a, a fish that was named after the Houston Rockets. What was it? Uh, Mario Ellie? Was that right? And yeah, yeah. Sam Cassell. Was it? <laughs> yes, who's the other one? Right. So there was. So there was. There were ferrets actually. Oh, Marianne ferrets. Ellie. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time with a family when I was younger that had just a gang of animals, and they named two of their ferrets after. No, the early uh, Rockets team from the '90s, and so Mario and Ellie were my my ferret friends. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people would have gone with like Hakeem and Clyde, um, right? But right. I, I like that they went. Not, I'm not saying they're second tier, but let's be honest, they were second tier stars, and yeah, <laughs> they really were. But that's okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're better than I was at basketball, and exactly. So, so Houston, I don't. I feel like you went exactly a little strong about my basketball game, but uh, that's fine. Okay, cool. Um, so Houston, and mom is still in Houston. Yes, mom and dad are still in Houston. Okay, and it's your mom's birthday today, isn't it? I saw it that. is. It's my mom's birthday, and she. I miss her so much. I'm her only child, and mm-hmm. so um, I surprised her. I'm doing a little conversation on social media with her tonight, just to throw her a little surprise birthday party how how's your mom's social media game um she shows up she <laughs> shows up she tries real hard and i don't think she loves it mm-hmm. she doesn't love putting herself out there but it's her way of keeping in touch with uh me and all of my friends and so she mm-hmm. she'll comment she'll post i don't think she knows how to repost stuff yet but we're getting there yeah well i mean 
That's great. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, I love my mama. What part of Houston? <laughs> Northwest suburbs. So not quite to the woodlands. Yeah. It's born around the spring area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife has yeah. got family from uh, Kingwood, Spring, Humble, that whole area. My my wife's from down there. So um, yeah, Texas forever. I love that. But, Texas forever. <laughs> but you, you made the trip to Chicago, married a guy from the south side. Yep. That's right. How did you end up in yeah. Chicago? I, my very first job out of college. So I went to USC out in Los Angeles. And my very first job wait, was... Wait, why'd you go to SC? <laughs> well, I think I wanted to be no, far away from home. Okay, no disrespect home. to SC. Like, I, I felt like that came across... <laughs> why would you go to a terrible school like SC? No. No, but it's not... I would not have guessed like that would be in... Okay, just why? It's I, a good school. I wanted I wanted a warm climate, okay. kind of that was reminiscent of home, but I wanted to be far away from my home. I mean, growing up with as the only child in my my house. I mean, I have half siblings, but I wanted my independence. I wanted to be by a beach. I knew SC was a good school academically. Um, I felt like it had a really strong, like diverse. Um, international student population. I just felt like I'd had a really good experience. And of course, the football. So, and I felt like it was a really good choice. Um, yeah. And it was, it was there that I, you know, got my degree in international relations, mm-hmm. graduated. And then my very first job was in human resources with Nestle USA. Oh, wow. So they transferred me to Chicago and, and that's how I got to Chicago. Wow. Okay. So Texas to Southern California. Turned out to be everything yeah. you wanted. Yeah. What were you there? I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess you were there when Texas beat SC in the Rose Bowl. That was my <laughs> freshman year. Come on now. Come yeah, on. Yeah, that was my, or was that my sophomore year? It was my freshman year mm. when Texas beat us, and I was in Texas when that happened. That makes me so. so happy. We don't talk about that I'm, in my. House. I'm just saying, like that was the best college football game ever. And uh, so it was a really good game. <laughs> it was, it was great. So anyway, I'm yeah. sorry that, uh, no, I'm happy that happened actually. So <laughs> whatever. Okay. So you go there, ne- I get it. Nestle and get you to Chicago. Yeah. You meet your husband who's from the South side, which means he's yes. a White Sox fan, obviously. Correct. No, he's a Cubs fan. He's a Cubs fan. He defies all the baseball stereotype, everything. Wow. He loves the Cubs. And I, I don't even understand it when he explains it to me. So uh-uh. I think it was the Cubs was his mom's team. And so right. family loyalty. Well, okay. That's just weird. That's weird. But yeah, you guys, I know. Uh, I, I know Aaron Nikos endorsed the book. So I'm assuming you guys are friends because you were at Willow for a yes. while. He's a big Cubs fan. That's so right. maybe that's why he endorsed the book because he knew your husband also liked the Cubs and maybe that <laughs> full circle. I don't know. Yes. He does love Delwyn. He does love my husband a lot. Okay. So, so that was part you of You guys it. were a part of Willow. Didn't you, did you work there? Right? Yes. Almost 10 years. What, in what capacity? In many different capacities. So I started off with young adults mm-hmm. and then I went over to high school. So I was a high school pastor oh, wow. for four years. And then went into our weekend programming team as like a content producer. So I did a lot of our artistic elements for um, our main stage or weekend programming. And then I um, transitioned as our midweek director. So um, was overseeing our Wednesday night programming, um, teaching there, organizing our our sermon series there. And it was so much fun. So I did a little bit of everything. Hmm. 
And then after that, you made what I like to call the Nequist, the Willow to Mars Hill transition. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nequist special. Yeah, the Nequist special. And yeah. uh, you've been out there for at Mars Hill for how long now? Only eight months. Eight months, wow. And, yeah, eight months, and the past couple of them have been inside my house here in Grand Rapids wow. with, you know, the current season that we're in. So it's, we love Grand Rapids. It's a wonderful city. Um, we, we were starting to explore and get to know it a little bit better, and then everything happened with coronavirus. And so um, we feel like we're focusing on home right now and spending time <laughs> with our kids, but... <laughs> I'm sure we'll we'll get back to knowing Grand Rapids and our church community better here really soon, hopefully. I love your positivity. Like you've had a lot of opportunities to take a left turn, but you've stayed like straight on, like I'm going to be positive. We're showing up. We're being positive. I mean, that's, I, I respect it. If you were going to compare and contrast yeah. LA to Grand Rapids, okay. what, uh, yeah. what, are, what are similarities? Wow. Similarities? Um... Not many. <laughs> Let's see. You, USA, you can same country. Same country. You can find a beach. Really? In both Los Angeles. Okay, you can go to Holland, Michigan. You can find a beach. Is, is it really a beach <laughs> if it's fresh water? I don't think so. Like, it's the uh, side of a lake. That's that's true. But the sand was nice. Okay. I mean, as long as I There's can sand. recline in the sand yeah, that's true. Okay. and read a book, okay. it's the same beach experience. So when I think you know of beaches, I, mean? I think Grand I think Grand Rapids. When I think of the beaches that I want to go to. <laughs> now you can add it to your, <laughs> add it to your list of, of top sandy beaches to visit in the U.S. Just come on. Come on over. Okay. The, We're ready for you. Yeah. I went to, uh, actually with Aaron Nequist, um, and the place that I met Manda was at Michiana it's like a hybrid Michigan Indiana small lake town or something like that and there was like the lake there and okay it was nice it was a nice lake I have not heard of it but I'll add it I'll see if I can look it up okay sure well there we go I think a lot of my listeners really were wondering what they're going to do for vacation this summer and Mm -hmm. I think we just gave them the Grand Rapid uh, beach beach scene is what they're going to want so cool yes that's right come on over folks Mm -hmm. i heard the up is really nice the the upper peninsula so Mm -hmm. i haven't visited yet but Mm -hmm. i heard that's really beautiful as well Mm -hmm. you know what caught me off guard my uh the the publisher that i work with uh is baker books which is based in grand rapids and so i did a ton of email correspondence with the uh, person who's doing most of my editing and then i got on the phone with her after months and months and months of email like Two books. Like, I worked on two books with the same editor, and I never talked to her on the phone until halfway through the second book. So, a lot of relationship. And then I get on the phone, and she has a Michigan accent, and I was like, I wasn't expecting that. It just, it (laughs) snuck up on me. Like, I didn't think it was going to be there. I don't know why I didn't think it was not going to be there. Her name was Giselle and has that, like, the line on it that, like, oh, cool. Which I don't, I don't, I still don't know how to find that on the keyboard. But I figured, like, you don't have the name Giselle with a line over your E and have a Michigan accent. But lo and behold, she did. There she is. Yeah, she did. She exists. She's out there. Have you thought about trying to kind of work on more of a Michigan accent? No, my, my, I feel like my vernacular is very hybrid. It's Southern, West Coast, Midwest, all combined. Yeah. So there's some words I say and I surprise myself because the Texas draw is still there. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I have kind of like the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it. 
because I lived there for so long. And then now here in the Midwest, um, I find that my kids have a Midwest accent. What are you going to do? Okay, so your oldest is five. If your five-year-old comes home one day and says Mm -hmm. that she wants a pop, what are you going to do? I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what it is, but growing up it was soda. That's because that's the right thing to call it. Because that's, that's, that's what it is. You, that's, that's what you ask for. That's actually. Not Coke. No. You don't call it a Coke and then ask for a Sprite. You don't call it no. a pop. It's, it's a, a soda. soda. Be- that's right. It's like, why do you refer to the air as air? Because that's what it is. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why. Okay. So you, um, in Grand Rapids for the last eight months and your, your title is what? Formation and preaching pastor at Mars Hill. Okay. So tell me, uh, how, when, when was the first time you preached a sermon? Oh, back in 20, 2000 and I want to say 2011. Really? Two, yeah. 2000? When my, my, with my very first, so I was still working for Nestle, but there was a pastor Um, who called out a teaching gift in me. And so he said, would you be willing to step in young adults on a Wednesday night and preach your first sermon? And I said, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) But I took, I remember taking days off of work to pour into the scriptures and I asked way smarter people to help come around me and make sense of the passage theologically. And I, it, I felt like I came alive, Mm -hmm. um, preaching and so on and off I've been I'd been preaching throughout all my different ministry assignments at Willow and then um that's a foundation of my job at Mars Hill now and um it I love it mm-hmm. I love what I do they might not have told you because you've been only there eight months but I feel like there is a contractual obligation to be on my podcast if you were <laughs> the senior pastor or teaching pastor there because Rob's been on a bunch Shane Hips has been on Kent's been on uh it, uh, AJ's been on and of course you so this was as soon as you took the job like <laughs> the universe said this had to happen and so it was in the fine print yeah, somewhere yeah I don't know how that got happened <laughs> I love that it. happened but I'm, I'm glad you're here and uh, I'm glad we're I'm glad it did okay so let's let's talk about the book and as a as a preacher I assume that some of this material you've preached before at different probably at Willow I assume no not even at Willow so this The foundation for the book actually came out of just like a discontent I had around how we were having conversations around partisanship and disagreement Mm -hmm. and um, kind of knowing the book would be released this year. I could just almost sense uh, a growing divide potentially in how we were having conversations around our our core values and beliefs. Um, The book hinges around Ephesians 4, really, Mm -hmm. uh, when Paul is saying, you know, in order to enter into life in Christ... You have to avoid this hard-heartedness, this callousness of heart that leads to ignorance and um, away from life found in Christ. And so the idea of the book is to invite people into this kindness that was really extended to us by, by God's self first mm-hmm. um, in order to bridge divides and relationships with, with God and with each other. Um, and I do that through narrative. I do it through telling my own story. And so um, it's... It reads as a memoir mm-hmm. uh, with these shorter narratives, but the idea is to help people understand that in the telling of our own story, we're really reflecting the larger story of God found throughout the pages of scripture. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not something that I taught before and then 
because I taught it, I wrote the book. It feels like it was just this really personal um, discontent in me that was rising. And I said, I have to, I have to do something with this. And the something ended up being a book. And I'm just now starting to, to preach about it more or talk about it more. Mm. So. Well, I love the, the little stories. I want to, I hate that I'm going to use the word pericopes. Uh, and I hate that I just said that word out loud, but they're short little stories <laughs> and I, yeah. they kind of have, and I mean, this full, full, much respect, obviously, because Bob Goff's books have done extremely sure. well, but it has like the Bob yeah. Goffian kind of like individual little stories and they had like amazing yes. kind of like truth in them. Uh, so I, I'm not saying like they're parables, but it has that, that sort of like individual, these beautiful stories that kind of stand, uh, stand on their own. And obviously the, uh, the subject matter of kindness, mm. I mean, we, <laughs> we, can we just give a copy of this to everyone? Because it seems like we, we, we've kind of given up on kindness. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <sighs> hmm. All right, let's jump into one of the stories. You tell this great story about um, your childhood, like, close friend, kind of older lady, Sherry, is that, yeah. am I saying her name right? Yes. Okay. That's right. Yep. Sure. So she, she loved you so much. She, she was kind of there for you. Mom drops you off one day, tells her, don't wash, uh, wash Ashley's hair. And she says, okay, I won't. Now, ladies white, you're obviously not white. And, yeah. uh, your mom is assuming something about her ability or specifically her inability to wash, uh, black people's hair. And as a white right. woman, she knows how to wash white people's hair, but you know, maybe not. And so right. she wants to help out and she wants to do something yeah. to, uh, you know, say, ah, yeah, I've, I've got it. Don't worry. And it doesn't end up too well. And you end up with some hair that what yeah. was less than ideal. Right. Yeah. It was, I remember it so vividly because not because I felt personally offended by the interaction. Like I, I remember it as a kid. And so I remember it with this, um, reflection of innocence where I heard my mom ask Sherry not to wash my hair. And I think I knew why, because I mean, for any person, I have a lot of hair. It's thick. If anyone has ever uh, heard about what it takes to um, manipulate black girl's hair, like it's, it's just a lot involved mm -hmm. to wash, dry style, whatever. And so um, I think my mom did assume that Sherry had never done anything like this before. And lo and behold, she hadn't. And so in order to try and take some load off of my mom and, and to carry some burden for her while she was at work, she, she tried to wash my hair and the comb got stuck in my hair. And my mom showed up to pick me up and Sherry's just weeping. And looking back on that moment, I realized that, um, for as much as Sherry and her family loved me, I mean, I'd been staying at her house for years. I'd gotten to know her kids. I felt like I felt like one of her children. I felt like she introduced me to new flavors and experiences. And my love for animals came out of being at her home for, for that many years. Um, but I had this sobering realization in reflecting on that story and in writing the book that there's some things that no matter how much people love us, they, they just can't teach us. They, they just can't give, give us no matter how well-intentioned they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I say in the book something like Sherry could give me a lot, but she couldn't teach me how to be a black woman in America. Mm -hmm. And so to honor her and to celebrate her and to uh, give gratitude for her life. Um, and she passed away when I was in college, but um, I'm still in touch with her family and with her daughters. And um, so 
it's to say there's a legacy that's been left mm-hmm. and some really good, good stuff that she gave me uh, that, that has made me who I am today. But just to be okay with the fact that there's something that she couldn't yeah. and to name that and, and to be okay and to say that that wasn't her fault, that she could not. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's experiences like that where I um, try and call other people to reflect on their own lives and say, what are what are the good things that folks have given me throughout my life and along the way and in the areas where they fell short? How can we engage in a way that's empathetic and um, inspires uh, just more reflection around? Yeah, we're we're all limited. Yeah, we can't give each other everything, and that's okay. Let me, if you don't mind, let me read uh, this quote, which you've kind of danced around sure. it. Uh, and the quote is this. So we yeah. have a choice. Either we can resent the fact that some people can't give us everything and demand that they try harder, that they sacrifice even more themselves, or we can sit patiently under the comb, knowing in our hearts that the outcome might be less than desirable, but also knowing that trying is the best offering some can give. It, it's, it seems especially now as you know, our country's in some ways become more aware of the tension that's always been there and you have tension between white people that want to be there for uh little black girls and little black boys and and black women and black men uh but sometimes Mm -hmm. like sherry like you have a comb and you don't know what to do with it and you can't help and it seems like kindness is the only option to go i I can try to help but everything i say i want to come up short and there's this 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 white fear that I want to do something, but I don't know what to say. And I'm going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like kindness is kind of like the only, um, only currency that can get us through that sort of ineptitude. Right. Yeah. It, kindness is definitely a part of it. I actually think part of what I try and get after in the book is that kindness is more than just niceness, like doing a nice thing yeah. or acting nicely towards someone. When you look at biblical kindness and the way that God, like even in Hosea 11, when he led, it says he led his people by the cord of kindness, even after they were unrepentant, right? Mm -hmm. Even after they had turned to lesser idols, he led them back into relationship by kindness, with kindness. And so kindness is a vehicle by which we enter into deeper relationship with one another. It's never the arrival point. It's it's never like, okay, I, I acted kindly. And so that's it. I think... Part of what we're seeing now is that there are so many, um, especially some of my white friends and acquaintances who feel like they don't have the tools. They don't know how to do the thing. And now because we're in mutual relationship, I mean, at that point I was a child. I couldn't like throw a book at Sherry and be like, hey, learn how to do my hair. (laughs) And I didn't require that of her. That wasn't her job, right? Like that, that's not why my mom asked her to care for me. Um, But if we're pursuing something in unity, whether that's reconciliation or healing or um, trying to pursue this reclaiming of human worth that we all possess, um, then kindness actually can say to you, hey, no, you you can step in and learn and, and there's a grace that will receive you. Mm. If you don't have the tool or the resource, um, there are ways that we can find that together. There are ways that I hope for our mutual flourishing you can enter in Um and there is a way by kindness to do that and to mutually spur one another on. And so, yeah, I, I, 
as we're kind of extracting from that story, everyone has a starting point, Mm -hmm. especially now. And I feel like a lot of people are rushing to catch up to where so many people are, like in the conversation of racial reconciliation, for example. But I also think we have to, uh, kindness plays a part in saying in order to maintain relationship, there needs to be acknowledgement of where someone's been or where someone hasn't been yet. And how can we meet that space with grace and, um, and biblical kindness as well? Yeah. Yeah, when you were a kid, like you said, you, you couldn't give her a book and say, read this book to figure out how to do my hair. But as right. adults, like there is a responsibility to not put too much weight on that kindness or let me say it a different way, to expect someone else, to force someone else to have to extend kindness to you. And you right. you have another chapter of a, a time in which you go to one of my favorite restaurants, Chipotle. I think you've been farming yeah. all day and you're dirty. Uh, I don't yeah. do a whole lot of farming these days, but I'll like I can imagine <laughs> what that would be like um but nevertheless someone seemingly well-intentioned comes up to you she has earrings on i think the shape of africa is that right yeah they're shaping the continent of africa yeah did you say the ethnicity of the person who had the african shaped earrings um she was a white woman okay i kind of yeah that Mm -hmm. that's a bold that's a bold move it's a it's a it's okay. a strong flex, um, but uh, like I'm, I'm not an earring expert. I don't know the right thing to do, but uh, it, it came across as a very uh, offensive thing. And if, if you don't mind me reading another section from your book again, sure, this is it. you. You've come out of Chipotle. You've paid for something you didn't want her. Uh, she tried to offer you. Grab your debit card. You pay for it. I've got. It, I'm fine. Go to the car. Uh, your husband finds you. You're very upset, and you write these words. But as I wipe the tears away from my dirty sleeve. I wondered how many times I've been that woman, how many times I'd reached out with a full heart, eager to help without knowing the, the least bit about a person's actual experience, moved only by her external appearance. I think that speaks to the times that like, you feel like you're helping, but you don't take the time to maybe imagine the experience of other people. Is that what you're getting at? Right. Yeah. And this is, this I think is a human experience across the board. So yeah, having just left a, an animal farm with my kids, like a petting zoo. Okay, you know, petting zoo. I got that. Cheese. Like, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Farming, I thought, like, yeah. on a Jack Deere tractor. That's that's <laughs> no. where I went. I, I, we do have a family farm, so I could have been farming, but just not that Okay, day. whatever. Um, yeah, we, um, I, I think that for me, that was important because, uh, you know, growing up in the church and especially having been exposed to experiences in missions trips, both local and international, in um in being taught what it means to serve as the church i think there for me as hurtful as that instance was because it felt like this woman was making assumptions about me that just weren't true like oh this woman wants food maybe she's on hard times like i don't know something about my appearance uh, sparked that that move in her um but i've done the same thing in that in moving towards someone in proximity uh with well-meaning intentions, our proximity can almost hold within it an assumption of um, of power on all, our behalf of like, mm. no, this person needs me or unless I do X, Y, and Z, um, something won't be accomplished or, you know, and so I think what I, I'm getting at is that as we continue serving one another, how do we inject more mutuality into that relationship? Mm-hmm where instead of making assumptions, we're uh, more curious. Um, We uh, defer to one another in understanding each other's life experiences. Um, So 
you know, I, I think this woman was well-intentioned. I do. I think she, she probably has a, a great heart. I believe that about her. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact still remain. I felt less than yeah. leaving Chipotle um, because it happened in a public place. Other people witnessed this, this display. And I, I felt kind of, you know, put in the spotlight a little bit, but that that's a learning for me going forward and how I interact with other people yeah. as well. I feel like there are definitely times that I have in an attempt to somehow validate something within me. I've done something saying that it's for someone else, but ultimately it's me working out my own issues and they just happen to be the, the, uh, the canvas that it's painted upon. And Oh, that's strong. It's a deep admission. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's now I feel a little over, over vulnerable there. Uh, but, uh, no, that's good. No, I think it's good. So obviously being a pastor, as you know, there are many phone calls you make to people who are going through tough times or moments of grief and lament and all that. And because of my own personal experience with that, not so long ago, I had a realization that there were times that I needed to contact or, or call or, or show up to someone who's going through that so that I could check off a box that says good pastor does mm. this good pastor has this contact with mm. person and person doesn't always need that person doesn't always need pastor to be there uh, so that they can say, yeah, I went and saw him. Uh, and I, I saw a light as I could see other people probably doing it for the, the same sort of altruistic reasons, but I didn't ask the harder question of who, who's this really serving, but every one yeah. of us did. And I'm sure the lady with the, uh, at Chipotle with the African earrings, I, I like, I'm imagining she also has like Australian earrings and she's got <laughs> l- like the entire continent, like Europe. She has European yeah. Uh, like she's got the series. Yeah, she's got them all. Like, and it just happened to be that day. It was like, what continent? Oh, it's it's Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Africa today. <laughs> it's Africa Monday. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I was born in Philadelphia, and when I was like eleven or twelve, cross colors was a big thing. Do you, cross oh. colors? Do you remember? Do you remember those? No, I don't. Do you know? What, you, no, what are these? Are you joking me? No, I'm not. <laughs> Cross colors. It was like the brand is between Bloods and Crips, like across the the color of the bandanas, like the red and the blue. And it was like this, okay. like this, um, you know, many of us in Philadelphia like had clothing that was kind of like in that genre of, of attire. And so I went to buy a yeah. cross color shirt and I went to buy it. And the person at the cash register said, hey, uh, you're a kid. This is a size large. You don't need this. I said, oh yeah, let me go back and get a different one. And so I went to the rack and I just saw the one that was size small and I grabbed it for a 12 year old because I needed a size small. Didn't look at the shirt. And so I come home in the shirt. I, I get out of the bag and the shirt says, uh, let's end black on black violence. Which, oh. which like, I'm like, I'm, I'm all for all violence ending. Like I'm full. I'm not, a, I'm not against it. Any, but like, it's just, it's not my shirt to wear. That's what I'm saying. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't my shirt to wear. Anyway. So what did you do with it? Did I don't you, know like, if I, did you recycle I don't it? know what I did. I, I didn't wear it. That's what I do know. I didn't wear it for sure. <laughs> for sure. Anyway. So African earrings, whatever. Don't wear that. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Maybe you should. Yeah. I don't know. I'm it's, not the judge. I'm, yeah, it's fine to wear I, them. It's fine to wear them. Mm-hmm. I just, it was, it was a really, I think what made it so uncomfortable was that it was public. It was, I, I felt like I was on display. And so like, regardless of what she was wearing, I think it's like kind of what you were getting at. If our motive is, okay, I'm going to feel good about myself and I want other people to see mm-hmm. it. And that can be potentially really, just really demeaning in some ways. Yeah. So I, but I, what I see trying to do is to see not the worst in her 
but to see the yeah. best in her, one of the other stories, right. I'm not going to say Pericope again. One of the other stories you tell is of this person who dated someone before you or said they did or didn't. I don't, and there's some like yeah. issue between y'all. And uh, so you had this coffee, which was l- less than ideal, which, which is, I don't yeah. know about you, but that seems to be very symptomatic of many of the times that I w- try to work for reconciliation and yes. it's not what you want it to be. It's not perfect. It's like Jacob and Esau when they finally get back together in Genesis. Like at the end, Jacob yes. still kind of like screws him over, like lies at the end again. Right. Oh yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Right. And then it goes a different direction where reconciliation yeah. really is as, as ideal as you want it to be. But then Correct. at the end, yeah. you have, here's, here's the line. We, uh, we combat the stories by demanding that we see the goodness in others or at least the ordinary. However much or little we feel is there. Tell me about that, that, uh, the phrase. We get the idea of seeing the goodness in others, or at least the ordinary. What is it about the ordinary that we need to see? Yeah, I mean, if you take away all of our, our labels and even suspend our, our credentials and our accolades and our titles and our experiences, there, there's some common thread there. Yeah. It's, it's like... Um, I think what's so interesting about this season is that we might be grieving different things, but we're all grieving. Um, There are experiences that, that are uniting us in a really unusual and in some ways beautiful way, if we choose to see Mm -hmm. it through that lens. And it felt like sitting across from a table with someone who I was creating these stories about. um, I realized, Oh, she wants to do well here in college, just like I do. Yeah. She has goals and aspirations just like I do. Um, she, she wants belonging and, and love. She wants to be loved just like I do. Um, so in a way it felt like as awkward as that conversation was, and I wouldn't necessarily just go around recommending having mm-hmm. coffee with like <laughs> your, your your current boyfriend or girlfriend or sp- like like your current boyfriend or girlfriend's at- like I, I I wouldn't normally recommend that no. but for me at that at that time I knew it was getting dangerous because I was creating things about her in my head that I knew weren't true yeah. or potentially weren't true and so that was on me that wasn't on but, her. but a lot of us do that um, why, why do you think we we create yeah. those narratives about the other person because it justifies us hmm. it helps us feel better and to say you know. Uh, and sometimes it's really, sometimes our, our bitterness can get real comfy because True. it makes us feel like we're, we're better than everyone else or, or at least one other person. And, um, it, it's our broken human condition yeah. coming out to party. Just, just feeling like if I can feel better about myself by way of undermining someone else, then somehow I've gotten ahead. Yeah. And, and that's just a pervasive lie. Um, and, and so the work, the discipleship even, is to interrupt those thought patterns with truth mm-hmm. and or at least to see what's really there and not to dig into what's not there at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so in doing the work of reconciliation, and this can be ra- racial reconciliation, there could be family members that, that need to reconcile, um, friends, whoever it is, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be messy. But what you're trying to do is recapture worthiness and um, hmm. get back to foundations of humanity. And sometimes that's that's done in recognizing really common, ordinary things yeah. 
and um, uniting around those. And so the truth that we find is not the narratives that we've created in our head to justify the bitterness or the you know, vitriol that we have for that person. But it's, it's not always ideal. It's not always a coffee in which someone's like, oh, we're going to be best friends afterwards. And, you know, I'm going to say good things about you. But you just see the ordinary in them and that somehow that humanity can can be enough. Yeah, hmm. that's right. I, I don't I don't need everyone to be my best friend. But what but my work as a minister of reconciliation is is to do the work of unity. Yeah. And unity doesn't always mean like we're going to go deep with every single person. I mean, Jesus had 12 and three, <laughs> three of the best, mean, like he had his favorite three out of even 12, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he had the three, the 12, and then, you know, the, the crowds, yeah. um, like the 72, like, so he had all these different circles of relationship in terms of depth, but run throughout each and every one of those was, was this call, was this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not off the hook. Like, even though, I'll, I'll, maybe I, I might never see this girl again. <laughs> I probably will never see her. I have no idea where she is right now. I hope she's She well. might have made that common um, move from LA to uh, yeah. Grand Rapids. <laughs> she could be my it's neighbor. A popular, it's knows? a popular transition because they're both beach challenged. People love the water. Yeah. <laughs> but, if you ne- but if for yeah. some reason you she's don't see her, me. you still wish her the best. And... Yeah. That's right. And because my my flourishing and I, I believe in biblical unity we have to understand my flourishing is tied to hers yeah that doesn't mean we have to believe the same mm-hmm. thing that doesn't mean we have to have come to our values in the same way or by the same experiences but I can't truly say that um, I am flourishing and living abundant life in Christ if my brother or sister yeah. is not yeah yeah that's true that's good uh, one thing so uh, but, yeah and so we're connected. The stories are not ideal. Sometimes they're small. The acts of kindness aren't, aren't always the, the big things that we're looking for. Uh, one of those stories that you tell in the book, again, I didn't say Prickaby that time. I said story, so I should have left it at that. <laughs> but one of the stories you tell is right. uh, of an experience uh, with uh, law enforcement where you have uh, yeah. a situation in yeah. your neighborhood. This is neighborhood in uh, Chicago. Is that right? Or is yeah, okay. a northwest suburb of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And so there was, uh, there's fear that you had inside of you. And there was, yeah. a, let me just read this quote. Uh, there was a couple we'd seen a few times on walks at our neighborhood park. They wore camouflage hats and jackets, and they never spoke a word to us. And that was after we'd spoken to them and our kids had played together. More fear, less sleep, just paralysis. And so for those who can sympathize with that experience of this was in mm-hmm. this was right after which what was in their major is uh it was charlottesville yeah, I, yeah the, the the tension in charlottesville yeah, so right yeah. after that you're feeling this fear which only makes sense you see someone who uh their behavior is less than magnanimous towards you and in your neighborhood yeah. you're you're seeing confederate flags show up oh immediately like immediately after charlottesville happened my husband's a runner and he came back one day and said, I saw a Confederate flag in front of a house that, that wasn't there last week. And then as time went on, there was another one in a different house and another one at a different house. Um, and uh, growing up in the South for me as a black woman in America, that that flag means something significant. And um, they're not in Chicago like they're in, in the South, in the are way. they? Like I, I was just thinking South. All of a sudden they're in right. Chicago. No. Wow. Yeah. 
They're in Chicago. And so, and, and so oh, to hear this news and to see those flags pop up almost as a response yeah. to, to what was happening in Charlottesville, um, I, I was scared. I can't put it any other way. I was scared because I didn't know, you know, we were, I think we were the only black family in the neighborhood. I didn't see any other people of color. Um, and so to almost, uh, I, I felt like I didn't know who I could trust. Mm. And so for, for me, fear is dangerous. Yeah. I think that's for me, a course in pattern is fear. Um, I've been um, surrendering fear my entire life. Can you, can you break down that phrase um, pattern is fear? My sin pattern, my sin pattern has been fear, like in terms of in response to tension or um, when I feel out of control, mm-hmm. uh, fear, I often go to fear. And and when I'm scared, I either turn inward and, and freeze mm-hmm. and I, I don't respond in ways that are healthy or um, that engage in relationship. Mm-hmm. I isolate. Um and this was one of those cases where I felt like, okay, then I'm just, I'm not going to go for walks as normally as I usually do. I'm not go- going to say hi to my neighbors anymore because those couple of times I tried, it didn't go so great this no. time. But um, instead you do something very, yeah, very vulnerable. That Yes. Yeah. I, I just remember coming out of a quiet time once going like, I can't, I am commanded not to live this way. Yeah. And so, um, I reached out to local law enforcement and I said, Hey, my daughter and I were going to cook, bake some cookies. Um, I, I'm feeling like having a conversation around what just happened in Charlottesville and what that might mean for our neighborhood. Would, would any off duty officers be willing to come have a conversation? And I had friends show up to my house and just almost like sit in presence with me, like to give me Mm -hmm. strength. They didn't say a word. They just sat at my house on the couch and just, like prayed and um, and these two law enforcement officers show up and we have this conversation. And again, I mean, we could go back to that last story. It wasn't a hallmark conversation. Like you wouldn't take this interaction and put it in your movie yeah. reel because it didn't, it didn't feel great. It felt clunky and it felt imperfect, but I was able to share part of our experience um, hear more about their experience um, as law enforcement officers. Um, and again, see them as human beings, not for their title or what yeah. they do, but to engage their history, their stories, um, learn a little bit about their families. And one of those officers ended up being chief of police in our neighborhood. And um, like that Christmas, I remember they sent over like as a follow-up to our conversation they sent us a a letter and they sent our kids stickers and we exchanged christmas cards and like obviously these are not the first police officers i know i have you know military in my family um law enforcement agents in my family and who are friends so it wasn't like i was placing this banner across all law enforcement right but as a response to something that was so ridden with tension Mm -hmm. I needed I needed to humanize people again versus hold on to headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, no, in the mo- looking back, like that was a pretty extraordinary 
um, I, I don't know that that would have been my natural inclination. I, I knew I was responding not in fear, but to the fear by moving in proximity. Mm. And yeah, that was, it was not comfortable, mm. but it's, it's helped me. I mean, if we do this enough times, Luke, I feel like we'll see, it's almost like a learned, we're, we're building a new groove into our yep. brains, yep. right? If we see goodness in people enough times, if we can hold multiple narratives together, mm-hmm. if we can keep, you know, for those of us who profess Christ, centered truth around scripture, um, then we'll, we can engage really hard moments, both within our own lives and as are played out around us. And we'll start to see that our default isn't, division it isn't vilifying it isn't um it isn't extracting worth from someone it's actually going okay i don't know if i agree with what you said i don't know agree with how you did that i don't think i agree even with your approach but what i can do say i refuse to dehumanize you um and i think we need more of that just like baseline in our society right now i think the the peacemaking work requires competing narratives to be held together that they yes yeah have you i feel like in the book you mentioned something about going to uh uh, israel palestine right did you go tell Mm -hmm. us okay yeah so todd death is a friend of the show he's been on a couple times and uh just had um (laughs) just got uh mccann um Let's pretend like I didn't forget his name. But uh, one of the things in his book that he talks about, his ex- um, he, he basically builds a story around the parent circle. Uh, you know, the, the two the two main figures mm-hmm. of that. He creates, yes. uh, I guess it's a, yes. mostly, okay. I'm going to pretend like I nailed that and got all the names and details right because he was just on the podcast like five weeks ago. N- never mind, <laughs> never mind. But one of the central things that I've learned from that experience uh, with Telos is that you have to be able to hold competing narratives and that peacemaking work, whether it's right. a- across the pond or whether it's right at home or whether it's literally in your family, it requires that ability to have competing narratives held together. And I think that is a basic act of, of kindness, of charity to go, I'm going to see the best in you and I'm going to believe you're doing the best you can and I'm going to, I'm going to respect who you are. And once you can do that, I feel like that gives you something to work with. Even if it's not going to be ideal and have this perfect reconciliation, at least it gets you in the room and it gets you talking and there's something you can go forward with, right? Yeah. Yeah, completely. We need a different end game. If my end game is to be right all mm-hmm. the time, um, that's that's a really weak end yeah. game. But if my end game is to attempt albeit imperfectly, to see the Imago Dei, Mm -hmm. the image and likeness of God woven throughout each and every human being here on earth. I mean, that's what it is, right? Um, If my end game becomes that, then what I'm giving up in a sense or what I'm putting on the line is my need to be right in every situation. Mm -hmm. Like I can, that doesn't mean I have to give up my conviction or, or um, what I, I believe to be true, but what it does mean is that I, I don't draw the line at being yeah. right. I draw, I, I, I create a different, um, a different depth of what we're trying to achieve together, and that's a unity that spans across all sorts of divides. Yeah. Um, 
and you can talk about that in the church. You can talk about that in partisanship. You can talk about that um, in sports teams or universities or who you root mm-hmm. for. But um, that is a, it's a discipline. It's not passive. It's very active and it's, it's, it requires initiative and um, it requires a presence of how we live our lives every day that um, like, it's not lazy to be kind Mm -hmm. in that way. It's some of the hardest work I think we'll do. Um, But it's required. Yeah. I think the easiest thing is to hold on to vitriol and bitterness and anger. That's the easiest thing. It's easiest for me, but it's not, Mm -hmm. it's never going to give you wholeness. The the line at the beginning of your book, you say, this is my story, a story of a black woman who grew up in the South and who discovered some wholeness and some holes along the way. First of all, I love wholeness and holes in a sentence together. Like, I think that's a gr- yeah. like a, a great yeah. wordplay of what it is. Like, I find wholeness, but I also realize that I am deeply flawed and deeply broken, that there is a, a fair amount of divinity within me, but there's a whole, a whole lot of dust too. And being yeah, able to hold good. those things together is where shalom is found for, for all of us. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think well done on the book. It's great. Congrats. Uh, way to write a book about kindness in a time when we definitely – need some kindness and the ability to hear other stories. One thing I think most people do not have kindness for is something that you in your uh, bio on Instagram say about yourself and um, it's CrossFit. Like no one wants to hear about CrossFit. Like I feel like that is the, yeah. I mean that, uh, do you? I've heard, (laughs) I've heard that people who do CrossFit love talking about CrossFit. If if you put two people at a bar and one, one is a vegan yeah. and one is a CrossFitter and say, you can't talk about your diet or your exercise. They wouldn't talk about anything. They would just like <laughs> uh, drink, seat, like they couldn't talk. They do a lot yeah, of nodding. Yeah, that's all would happen. Yeah, so, a lot yeah. of nodding. Do you feel that's like right. people hate you when yeah. you talk about CrossFit or are you just not aware? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I'd say the latter. I'm definitely not aware. Um. But I do, I do know that people find it annoying in general. So I try not to actively talk about it. I did CrossFit for a long time. So like I'm like, I'm yeah. no hate on it. I still have a garage gym and all that. But That's yeah. Right. Um. You're an alumni, yeah. Um, but it, I've, I found it to be really <laughs> helpful in a season where it's a new hobby and to exert a healthy form of hey. self I, I, I fully get it. I fully get it. Do you? I, I assume you don't work CrossFit in your sermons because people still like your preaching. I I think I did mm-hmm. one time, and I don't know that it was it fit my mm-hmm. audience, so I didn't do it yeah. again. Yeah, I'm gonna just say this but, as someone who's you know your your fellow minister in the gospel. Um, those those yeah. don't work. They just don't. From my experience, maybe you're <laughs> you, you seem like you might be a better communicator than me. So maybe you can pull it off. But uh, no, they just don't just don't do them. That's that's my lesson. Noted. Yeah. I don't plan on it, but we'll see. Hey, how the I don't I don't have a degree in like fancy stuff from SC. So maybe you've you've learned a better way than me. Who knows? I I don't know that that degree pretty much stayed at SC. I'll tell you that. And part of it's mm-hmm. on my wall, but doesn't mean it much. stayed there just like reggie bush's heisman trophy yeah. stayed there oh, <laughs> vince young should have won the heisman okay. wah, wah. that's wah, 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 wah. that's what we call an inclusio <laughs> what you start with you're gonna finish with right there and I love uh, it. yeah that's right that's, that's great that's well it. ashley thanks for coming on the pod congrats on the book and uh everyone go buy a copy of it that's what should happen thanks luke this was fun thanks for having me thanks for checking out newsworthy with norsworthy Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. 
you are now adjourned.